0: unbroken podcast. I'm Alexandra Amore, author and lifelong explorer of what it means to be human. This is the podcast where my guests and I explore the inside out nature of life via the psychological paradigm called the three principles. We explore the positive effect this can have on every aspect of our lives, including resolving things like unwanted habits, anxiety, trauma, depression, and more. You'll find episode show notes, transcriptions, your complimentary video series, and lots more at unbrokenpodcast.com. If you're struggling to resolve an overeating habit, I invite you to go to freedomfromovereating.com where you'll find all the details about the online course I've created based on my 30 plus years of struggle and how I found the solution to my own overeating habit by exploring this inside-out psychological paradigm. Use the coupon code PODCAST at checkout to save 20% on this unique and comprehensive course. And now, here's the show. Sorry Taylor, welcome to Unbroken.
1: Thank you for having me.
0: Lovely to have you here. So, why don't you give us a little bit about your background and how you found the three principles?
1: Okay. So, I have to dig deep for this because it feels like a whole other lifetime ago. Okay. (laughs) Um, But I originally, so when I was in my early 20s, I didn't realize I was anxious, but I was very anxious. And I'd kind of been ignoring it would have if people had have met me in my 20s, they would have said, oh, you're super confident, like more confident than most. But actually, deep down, I really wasn't, but I pretended to be a lot. So it eventually caught up with me um, in my early 20s and I ended up going from having been to university, travelled the world with my now husband, and ending up within a space of two weeks not being able to actually physically leave the house with such severe anxiety. Um, That then escalated from me not being able to leave the house to me not allowing my mum to leave the house because I needed her there. Yeah. So I was very much like it was that's regressed massively um, to the point where she would take she'd go to the local shops for a loaf of bread and I'd have to go with her in the car and I'd just cry the whole time in a panic when she was in the local store. And this is like I say, I had travelled the world at this point. Yeah, and it was a big shock. And I and I had no idea what was happening. And so eventually I pretty much begged the doctor to send me somewhere. And I think my main driver for wanting to go into a a mental hospital um, or whatever you want to call it, is because I wanted my mum to get some respite because I was very aware that she was a prisoner in her own home too. And I didn't know how I was going to get out of it or change it. So I spent a month in hospital. I was very heavily medicated. So there was not really a medication that I wasn't on. I was on a concoction of many, many different things. And I came out of there after a month feeling, to be fair, quite chilled, but I would defy anybody who's on not on beta blockers, diazepam and antidepressants all at once on the highest possible doses not to feel quite chilled. <laughs> but I was still frightened underneath and, and kind of thinking, what on earth do I do now? How do I get off these? Well, you know, I was young, I wanted to have children, I knew that at some point, I'd have to try and come off them. So so I then went into exploring how to fix myself, which I know are lots of people who end up finding the three principles, start off, you know, trying to fix themselves. And part of that was training to be a psychotherapist. Because it, to be honest with you, I was quite embarrassed about where I'd ended up at the time. Mm-hmm. There was a lot of shame attached to it for me. So I... I didn't, still didn't want to admit when I left there that I was, you know, there was anything wrong with me. So I, instead of in, in the UK, you actually have to be in therapy every week in order to train as a therapist. Right. So that was much more palatable for me to say, I'm training as a therapist. <laughs> okay. In other words, I'm in weekly therapy, but you don't realize <laughs> that that's because I feel like I'm broken and not because I want to be a therapist. <laughs> so, um. So that took me on to all sorts of things. And, you know, as you can imagine, like, you know, it helped a bit, but it didn't get rid of my anxiety. Um, So then I tried NLP, DBT, CBT, hypnotherapy. I'm trained in most of them as well. (laughs) Got a lot of certificates, but I was still burning out every 18 months to the point where I would, again, not want to leave the house. Hmm. So, I then came across nearly 10 years ago now, I came across a podcast which talked about three principles. And at first, I don't know what it was, to be honest, that made me want to explore more. I know a lot of the time I would explore things out of desperation because it was like, maybe this will be the answer. But I think the first podcast I heard, it was like I really resonated with what the person was saying around them feeling anxious and trying to fix themselves. I thought, I'm going to look into this a little bit more. Um, And it was then eventually when it really sort of hit me, I was listening to a podcast by uh, the wonderful Dr. Bill Pettit. And he just said something, and I don't know what he said, but something in that moment, I just realized, oh, wow, this is way simpler than I'd ever realized. And I just burst into tears, actually. Mm. Um, and then I was hooked from mm-hmm. then on in. <laughs> um, and then, you know, I then went from, you know, not wanting to leave the house, panic attacks every day, some days, every hour on the hour to, you know, in this conversation, uh, my first panic attack was when I found out at age 45 that I was pregnant, <laughs> which I think that's quite understandable. <laughs> yes. <laughs> um but interestingly, even that panic attack after 10 years was very different. It was like, well, of course I'm feeling panicked. Of course my body's responding in this way because I've just been in my head for three days thinking how on earth am I going to manage this? Um, so it was still a very different experience. But yeah, I've never ever looked back. And um, yeah, it's a it's a way of life for me now. And I'm also fortunate enough that I get to share it with other people as well.
0: Yeah, nice. And and so you mentioned there that when you heard Dr. Pettit speak, that it it occurred to you how simple it things were. So can you talk a little bit more about that and what you began to see about the simplicity of it?
1: Yeah. So, I mean, ironically, at the time I was listening to the podcast, I, I was going through one of my... Episodes, if you like, of severe anxiety, and and I never forget, and I laugh about it now. But at the time, I was on an exercise bike in the house whilst listening to a podcast, whilst eating an apple, because I was trying to eat better, exercise, and self develop, because that's what I needed to do to fix myself. So it was like I'm doing it all and all at once, and I'm giving it full throttle, and you know, I will fix myself at all costs. And there was something in what he said, and again, I, to this day, I don't know what he said, but it's something in that he said, that I realized I'm trying too hard to be something other than human right now. Mm. I am fighting and resisting this experience that I'm having that actually I'm now starting to see very quickly is a really innocent misunderstanding of the human system. And when I look back now at my periods of anxiety I now see actually that they were very simply my body and defense mechanisms way and it it was almost like a as it was a story that I had and it was almost like a self-fulfilling prophecy where I'd do too much I'd put too much pressure on myself I'd have really high expectations and then at some point my body and my mind would just stop me completely in my tracks because it was the only way I was going to (laughs) stop
0: Right. You know, and it
1: was that sort of the simplicity of it. Well, yeah, that makes sense. Like that's the only way I get any respite is when I am confined to the house because I can't physically get myself out because I am frightened of what's behind that front door. And I started to see it for what it really, truly was. And to be honest, what that led to, which was a big, big change for me, was starting to see myself with a bit more compassion Mm -hmm. of how harsh I was on myself and how what a full-time job trying to fix myself had been and how inadequate and broken I saw myself for many many years and then that cycle then became well if I'm inadequate and broken every 18 months then I need to make sure those months in between that I am overcompensating and making sure that you know I am the best version of myself I can ever be as opposed to you know, one thing I always teach now, particularly to young people, and I love is to say, let's just aim to be average, because average is great. <laughs> <You know? laughs> yeah. And the irony is, is the more average I was okay with becoming, it was like things in my life were just getting better and better. I'm like, oh, hang on a minute. This is a, a little secret that I've missed. We aim to be average. Often we we saw because we're taking so much pressure away Um, of, you know, rather than having to be something that... Sometimes we can't and don't need to be. Mm-hmm. And were you a really sort of high achieving student when you were in your teens? I, w- I, w- I didn't do bad. I- in fact, no, I did well. I did. You see, that's the, that was the sort of the dialogue I would have had is like my friends, some of my friends did better and I could have done better. But I, I was, you know, A's and B's in my, you know, I did well. Mm hmm. But where a lot of the stress and the overthinking for me came from was taking responsibility for everybody else. So I can remember for years and years and years, I'm one of five siblings. I'm the eldest. And I would literally and now I just think, how would this even make sense to me to do this? But I used to lie in bed at night before I go to sleep, before I had a child of my own. And I'd go through every sibling. Are they okay? Do they need anything? What can I do to help them do better and I would literally see it as my responsibility to worry systematically about every sibling. Wow. Yeah. <laughs> Whereas now I still get, you know, the knocks on the, the door or the message, can I borrow 20 quid or can I do this and that? But it's like, yeah, that's okay, but worrying about you, no thanks. You can do that for yourself. <laughs> right. Yes. Mine <laughs> was more of um. Like a high achiever, in a sense of making sure everyone was okay and being seeing myself as the the more responsible one and 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 again, funnily enough, now, I see how disempowering that was to my siblings, and that I wasn't any better than them. you know I wasn't in a better place to you know make sure they're okay and and that it is quite disempowering but um and it's very freeing to realize I don't have to do that anymore,
0: mhm. Yeah. Oh nice. So oh, that's great. So um for our listeners if they're experiencing anxiety at the moment where would you
1: say that comes from? So we are only ever feeling our thoughts. There is there is no exception to that. We are we are only ever in the feeling of our thinking. And so If you are feeling anxious, then you have a lot of anxious thoughts going around. It might not even be that you notice it. It might be so habitual and so second nature. But if you're feeling anxious, that is a a surefire way to say that you are anxious, as in anxious thinking about the future, what's coming next, um, all the what ifs, You know, what if this happens, what if that happens. And so even though you might not even know what those thoughts are, if you're feeling anxious, that for me now, that is just an invite from your mind and your body to just get present and get back in your life. I was just doing a little reel earlier, just sharing that for me, there's two places I am in my life, and that's either in my head or in my life. Mm. And I can't do both very well at the same time. Um, and so if I'm feeling anxious or on edge or overwhelmed or tired or anything, when I used to feel like that, I'd go into my head and be like, oh, I need to get rid of this anxiety and I need to make sure it doesn't get worse. And why is it there? And I'd overanalyze. Whereas now, again, the simplicity is it's like, oh, I feel anxious. Invite to get in my life and out of my head.
0: Yeah. And how does one do that get in your that's life?
1: People always to, <laughs> always, and it's an interesting one because it's our default is mm. to be, present and in the moment that's how we're but that's like gravity, it's like I know if I drop something, it's going to fall because of gravity, and so I know if I get out of my head and stop holding on to thoughts and analyzing and preempting and predicting just like gravity I'm going to fall into that present space so rather than thinking how do I get more present I always encourage the people just to reflect and notice when you're not and what's happening there because you'll see that if you're not present chances are you're well you are in your head mm-hmm. <laughs> Trying to deal with something that isn't here yet that hasn't happened yet you know and I I love the saying of like you know anything follow that follows the words what and if is an illusion and so we spend time creating illusions you know the thing about stories and illusions they so can get so elaborate and there's no limitations and therefore yeah we can get really frightened and scared and anxious
0: mm-hmm. we're so we're such imaginative creative creatures we can make anything up
1: absolutely yeah. can do all of the time <laughs> you know. <laughs> what we can't make up is right now we we you know we're in something we're in and actually we're always being guided I think I think when I look back to what my panic was about it eventually ended up and this is quite common for a lot of people who experience severe anxiety is my anxiety was actually only ever really about getting anxious in the end So I feared that uncomfortable feeling that anxiety brought and -hmm. spent so much of my waking day avoiding that feeling, but therefore indirectly taking myself to it. And I think, you know, it's that getting comfortable with the discomfort that sometimes that brings, but seeing it for what it is, not that, you know, out of every single panic attack I ever experienced, not one of them was I ever faced with imminent danger, not one. I had thousands, not one of them where I was faced with imminent danger. And so we're practicing and preparing for perceived or, you know, made up danger. And that's what's creating the anxiety and the panic because our bodies then overproducing adrenaline that we don't need. So we do feel it physically because the body's going, oh, I'm getting you ready now to fight this scary thing that you're telling yourself about. And and so it gets the body ready and the body's like, what do I do with this? Because we're not going anywhere. We're just watching TV. (laughs) Yes.
0: Yeah. So that, and that's where the discomfort comes from in our bodies.
1: Yeah. Yeah. Right, absolutely. And then that can lead to then more overthinking. I think one of the things that, was helpful for me. And I think it was Dr. Bill Pettit that I heard talk about this originally, and I won't do it as as good justice as, as him, but when adrenaline is pumped into the body because we are sending a message to our lizard brain that we are in some sort of danger, that part of the brain is not sophisticated enough to go, oh, Sari's catastrophizing. Let's not bother with the adrenaline. She's just worrying in advance. It just assumes that what you're telling it is now... Now, that adrenaline actually only lasts in the body for around, don't quote me on this, but around eight minutes. And in actual fact, after about four minutes, it halves. And so the discomfort that comes with that adrenaline surge doesn't last that long. But then people will say like, but it lasts all day for me. And I get that because it would for me. But the reason for that is as soon as we then get physical symptoms of, you know, it might be palpitations or you know, pins and needles or feeling a bit dizzy. It's like we're then reinjecting ourselves with more and more adrenaline, adding layers and layers to the worry of why do I now feel like this? What's happening? Will it get worse? When in actual fact, the more we can sit with the discomfort through understanding and, and you know, being a bit more um, able to see it for what it really is, it doesn't stay around for very long.
0: Mm. Yeah, yeah and so when if someone's experiencing that kind of rush all day or for hours and hours are they that what they're doing is continually kind of firing up that adrenaline in in their body so it's a new dump of adrenaline
1: yeah and then if we do that for a certain amount of time then the body starts to produce cortisol stress hormone because it's like oh this adrenaline isn't quite working so we need something bigger and better, and then we get stress hormone, and that lasts for longer. So that's then can, can you know, make it more difficult, if you like, in that moment for us to, to settle back down quicker. But one of the things that I'm really passionate about, and we'll say this now whilst we're talking about this is I was told by a therapist many years ago, that because I lived a lot of my life in fight or flight, which I did from a very young age, I produced a lot of adrenaline, Um, for a long time and and had this habit of producing it and creating you know dramas out of everything and I was told that I would just have to learn to manage that Mm. and yet what I can say is that now I have a very different experience of life my adrenaline levels are not through the roof all the time anymore so they can settle and will settle once we start to understand enough that we're not constantly setting off that internal alarm to keep producing the adrenaline. And the other thing with cortisol in the body is because it's the hormone that the body prioritizes over any other, it will then mess with your hormonal imbalance, which is why a lot of women who are anxious end up going to the doctor because they believe they have some kind of hormonal imbalance. And they probably would have in that moment if they were tested. But it's not because there's a problem with their hormones. It's because they're stressed. Mm. And it's kind of
0: skewing things. Yeah. Yeah.
1: Yeah. Because the body's saying, well, you know, we can't worry about that hormone and that hormone right now because we're just having to keep this person alive. And they've got a lot of problems and danger and it's stressful. And that's what we need to focus on.
0: Right. (laughs) Right. Yeah. Once again, the brilliance of the body. It's
1: amazing. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah.
0: Yeah, So true. Um, and so one of the questions I had prepared for you was what can we do when we feel
1: anxious about being anxious? Mm -hmm. I love this exploring this. Yeah. Yeah. So when we feel anxious about getting anxious, what we're really talking about is that we're anxious about the, we're scared of the discomfort or the feeling that we've we have defined as bad and I think with understanding and exploring the principles and in whichever way people want to do that like listen to podcasts like like yourselves um it's starting to see for you to start to see that you are safe and you're okay I, I always remember my youngest brother was he was an MMA fighter, so he would go into the ring and he'd have fights. Now, I couldn't sit and watch him because it would just make me so physically sick and scared. I just couldn't do it. But he said he used to love that feeling. He said it was his ears would be ringing, his sight would go, like the ad- sheer amount of adrenaline that would go into his body going into that r- room sounds extreme. And yet that's why he did it, because he loved that feeling. And when his wife went into labour, he's got three children, and when his wife went into labour with one of the kids, I remember him bringing me afterwards. And he said, yeah, it's all fine. He said, oh, I had to go out the room, though. I had an awful... Uh, no, he didn't say awful. He said, I had a panic attack, quite a bad panic attack. So here's me going, oh, no, goodness, that's awful. What happened? And He's like, oh, no, it was fine. It was all right. Actually, and then he said... It, it was like I was in a tunnel in my head. So I just went out of the room and then I sort of came out of it. And here's me feeling terrible for him. And he made me laugh. He said, I actually quite like that feeling. Wow. And he'd said that to me before in the past, but that he likes that feeling of, he said something along the lines of, it's just me and the universe and nobody or nothing else. It's like he, he goes into this in his head. And for some people, that could be a really scary experience but because he knows what's happening and that's the, that's the feeling that he was going for when he was stepping into the ring every time. And then, you know, there's people who do extreme sports and extreme things for that adrenaline rush. They don't see it as bad. It just is an adrenaline rush.
0: Mm -hmm. Yeah. Yeah. That's so, that's such a great explanation of that. It's a feeling, you know, it's a thing that's happening. And when we, demonize that kind of thing and then become afraid of it yeah yeah, that's what creates problems
1: because we're instantly saying if that happens it's really bad and i and i i always feel a little bit hesitant when i'm talking about this because i i know if somebody had said to me when i was in the throes of panic attacks every single day oh it's just an experience it's not i I would have wanted to honestly just punch them in the face. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) Well, you clearly don't understand because this is not just an adrenaline rush, but actually it is. And the more we understand that, okay, so when we're in that state of mind, when we're in that, in our heads and we're overthinking and the body surge with adrenaline, you know, to be able to understand then that we're not going to make sense of that. We're not going to rationalize that in the moment. So that we don't need to try and do that and just understanding that if we just sit with it, it's going to pass. And something I used to find myself when I was in the beginning of the conversation of the three principles, asking myself quietly in times of when I was starting to feel panic build up, say, right in this very moment, am I okay? Right now. And it was always yes, because what was making me not okay or feeling like I wasn't okay wasn't even the panic attack I was having in that moment it was how much worse will this get Mm. will this ever stop it was still future thinking Mm -hmm. I could actually deal with the panic the panic I know it's different for everybody but for me would end up with me going to the toilet feeling sick and, and retching and then I would just cry and then it would go it was the same every time and so I kind of managed and dealt with that as and when It showed up, but the, the actual feeling of dread and adrenaline and panic was coming from, will it go away? Mm
0: -hmm. What
1: if it gets worse? What if this, what if, and you know, I hear it so often with people. What if I pass out? What if this, what if people see me? What if I throw up? What if it's all, what if still?
0: Mm -hmm. Yes. And do you now, do you ever
1: experience symptoms of anxiety? Not really. Mm. Very rarely. I do, I'd now sort of describe it as being on edge. So having a one-year-old baby, I am sleep deprived. There is no (laughs) doubt about that. I am lacking in sleep. And sleep was always a massive trigger for me with anxiety because it was at the end of a two-week stint of barely sleeping that I ended up in hospital. So it was always, I need my sleep, otherwise I won't be okay. And so even that now is a different experience. So I know that I'm tired. I know that when I'm tired, I can have intrusive or anxious thoughts. But I also know that they don't mean anything and that I don't need to pay attention to them. And again, they're just a sign for me to need more sleep or to get the rest if I can or the support. And it's interesting because when I had, so I've got a 16 year old and a one year old. And um, that's a whole other podcast episode. <laughs> 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 but when I had my 16-year-old, I wasn't in the conversation of the three principals. That's when I was, had not been out of hospital probably only about a year or so. Oh no, it would have been a few years actually. And I was really postnatally anxious when I had her, like really awful, you know, laid awake at night, really intrusive, awful thoughts, thought I was the worst mum in the world. It was a really difficult time and now this time i had a couple of intrusive thoughts in the beginning where you know i was stood on we've got like a, a mezzanine in in our home that we've got and there's like a glass thing and a thought just pops in my head and thought imagine if you tripped and threw her or imagine if you just threw her and then the next minute my head's imagining a pool of blood on the floor now i just laughed to myself because My thoughts don't scare me. And I laughed to myself because I thought, God, you need sleep. Mm. Whereas when I had my other daughter, thoughts like that escalated into weeks of torture and suffering because one, I I thought there was something wrong with me and that people didn't have these thoughts unless they were terrible people. Two, I didn't want to tell anyone in case they thought I was completely mental up until a point where then I had to tell people because I didn't want to be on my own. And it just, I can see how just an innocent, intrusive thought that just pops in because you're tired or in a lower state of mind or a lower mood can be just seen as that, as a sign and an alarm to go try and get more sleep if you can. (laughs) Or, you know, whatever it was telling me, just listen to your body. Or that could escalate, which it did, to not wanting to be on my own again, going to the doctors to get antidepressants, and feeling like I was the worst mom in the world for many, many months. Mm-hmm. So this snowball effect, that
0: tiny little thing comes through, and then it grows and grows and grows, and we feed yeah. it. Yeah. 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 Such a good point. Um, One of the things I wanted to ask you about, too, speaking of anxiety, is learned fears and phobias so I mentioned in my the questions I sent you you have a post on your website about the spider in the bath so can you talk to us about that please yeah,
1: the spider in the bath one thing about having a baby and in this being in this conversation at the same time it's been an absolute wonderful gift really because I am seeing human nature in all its beauty and glory, right from day one, again, with fresh eyes. Mm. So I am seeing that my daughter is present by default. And I am seeing that she doesn't judge herself. You know, she cries one minute, she laughs the next, she gets angry the next, she gets, she's not bothered. She's not judging herself. She is just loving on herself every day, regardless of how she's showing up. And it's amazing to see.
0: Mm. Now,
1: I was in the bathroom with her. Um, well, probably any parents listening to this with young children. I think I was on the toilet. So then the 16 year old comes in, mum asking me a question and then, then the, the, then the baby toddles in. So then we're all in the bathroom at this point. And my teenager instantly said, "Mom, there's a spider in the bath. Oh my God. Oh my God. Don't move. There's a spider in the bath. Get the baby, get the baby. And my instant reaction was to go, Oh yeah, yeah. Let's go. And then I, my wisdom in that second just went, no. I looked at her and she was so curious and excited to see this spider in the bath. And it was very, in that moment, I just said to my elder daughter, let's not do this. We're just about to instill a belief, a conditioned belief on her that that spider is scary. Right now, she doesn't see that. And so she was trying to get in the bath. There was no water in the bath. And this spider was just around the tub. So I lifted her up, put her in the tub. And for about five minutes, the joy on her face, trying to catch that spider with her hand. She was so happy. To the point now, if we see a spider, she's like, spider, spider. She's so excited. And it really hit home to me in that moment. It's like. She learned, she could have very quickly learned in that moment from us, spiders are scary. And do you know what was funny? I went into the lounge five minutes after and her children's TV was on in the background and there was a program and it had a spider in it. <laughs> and it made me laugh because even the program, they were like, oh, this scary spider. And it's like, it's everywhere is like, oh, let's all be scared of spiders where people have, have tarantulas as pets. Like it's not a given that we're scared of anything. Mm-hmm. I always bring any fear down to three things. And I always call it the three U's and it's uncertainty, unknown and unpredictability. Mm-hmm. So my mum has a fear of a phobia of frogs. She doesn't know why, she doesn't remember why, but I can remember as kids, we when we thought it was a bit of a joke or oh, mum's a bit scared of frogs, we didn't realise how scared she was. And so we bring them to the house Until this one day we brought one to the door and she locked us out and it was hours before she would let us back in the house. Like literally like, Come on, Mum, this is enough now. And she's like, No, she's so petrified that if she saw one now, you can see the very instant physical, the the colour drops out of her face, she shakes, she panics, it's instant. And when I say to her, What is it that you're thinking about this frog? She's like, and then she says, I don't know, it, it could jump up at me. I don't like the idea that it's slimy or what it feels like. I said, have you ever touched one? No, but I just think it feels like this. It's the uncertainty, the unknown, and the unpredictability of the frog that she's afraid of. Right? Wow. It's the same with everything. And it's the same with anxious about getting anxious. We're anxious about the uncertainty, the unknown, and the unpredictability. Right. Yes, that's so
0: true. We feel like we can't control it. It's out of our control. That's the unpredictability and the, yeah, the uncertainty. How long will it last? Yeah. Will it get worse? And what's the yeah. third one?
1: And the unknown. So it's,
0: Unknown. It's,
1: yeah, just not being able to predict or know for sure what's to come. And all fears go back to that. I think they say that we're born with only two natural inbuilt fears. One is a fear of falling and another is fear of loud noises. So when you hear a bang, you see a baby might jump like that. hmm other than that everything is learned.
0: Mhm.
1: Yeah, wow, that's
0: such a good point. I um experienced a lot of urgency, so anxiety in the form of urgency for years. Mm-hmm. And I can see too that one of the th- ways that I dealt with the uncertainty about that, like trying to control it was just by going faster and doing more. Yeah. You know, yeah.
1: Get there quicker and then it's, it's, you know, it's
0: over with. Yes, yes. And the crazy thing is it never went away. You know, I used that coping strategy and it didn't work, but I kept doing it anyway. Uh, Yeah.
1: So (laughs) so that was a definite way to get more adrenaline into your system as well, wouldn't it? By going faster.
0: (laughs) That was the thing. I think I was just flooded so much of the time. Yeah. By trying to go faster. Yeah. Um, let's see what I want. We touched on in hormonal imbalance, which is one of the things we, um, I wanted to talk about and I think we've, yeah, we've kind of covered that and about how, um, how that adrenaline flooding can affect the natural balance that's there automatically. Yeah. Awesome. Yeah. And anything else you can say about that?
1: Well, I've recently um, done some, a little bit of work with an endocrinologist who, and she's, she's a wonderful hormone specialist. And, you know, ultimately what it comes back to every time we've spoken about, you know, any sort of hormones, even people talk about menopause as being hormonal imbalance, perimenopause, like, and, you know, it's not an imbalance in a way, our hormones are in balance because they're in balance, if that makes sense. Like they've got to balance each other out and they work together. There's so much going on behind the scenes where it's all working in our favor and for the for the greater good of us and our bodies. But it, when we throw something else into the mix, like something we've predicted, something we've, and, and particularly men, you know, menopause and hormones get such a bad Um, reputation in that people dread it 10 years before they hit perimenopause because they've been told a million times how awful it's going to be and and yet that doesn't have to be the experience you know I've spoken to many people within the three principles community who had awful perimenopausal symptoms that with the understanding they went away because again if our body's having to work twice as hard to do what it's doing, you know, so menopause is the body getting ready for the next phase of our life. Well, if it's trying to do that and yet we're not respectful of that and we don't slow down and we don't take care of ourselves as best we can and we don't, you know, stop stop getting too caught up in the what ifs, then the body's got to work twice as hard to get where it needs to be. And and it's that, it always comes down to the less we interfere with nature and what's intended the easier everything
0: is. (laughs) Yes. Yeah. So well put. That's exactly, that's how I see it as well. Yeah.
1: I think a lot of people look to hormonal imbalance for a reason because a reason for anxiety, because I know again, having been in that situation, I mean, the amount of times I went to the doctors with my anxiety, assuming there was some kind of hormonal imbalance. Was it my thyroid? Was it, was I low in vitamin D? Was I low in, I was always looking for a reason because I didn't understand or couldn't see how something that felt so awful could just come from my thinking.
0: Mm. It was
1: like too, almost too simple to believe, if you like. And yet my experience of even having um, throughout my own menstrual cycle, my hormones, you know, really struggling with lots of symptoms. Again, in the last last ten years of being in this understanding, I don't have that that same experience every month anymore. Mm-hmm. It's not a coincidence.
0: No, no, that's right. Yeah, we we don't appreciate how powerful our thinking is, really. Yeah, absolutely. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Well, as we come to the end of our time together, can is there anything else
1: you'd like to share that we haven't touched on today? Um anyone that's new to the principles or you know this might even be the first podcast they ever come across um keep exploring is all I can say I came into this conversation to fix my anxiety and here I am 10 years later and it has brought me and given me so much more than just changing my relationship with anxiety so keep going I would say and yeah, just stay curious. I mean, even when we start to doubt the principles, is this really too good to be true? Is this like is that's okay? There's nothing wrong with that. Getting curious is good. So just keep listening, keep getting curious. Um, yeah, because all it can do is is enrich your experience of life.
0: Mm-hmm. Oh, that's great. Thank you. So, where can we find out more about you and your work?
1: Um, I'm I run an organization called. Worldwide Wellbeing Limited. So you can find me at worldwidewellbeing.co.uk or Sari Taylor Coaching. You can find me all over social media. Um, I'm everywhere on social media. <laughs> I'm one of the few people of my age that quite like social media. Um, so you can find me there too.
0: <laughs> Great. Oh, that's awesome. Okay. And I'll put links in the show notes at unbrokenpodcast.com. Sorry, it's been a great pleasure. Thank you so much for being with me today.
1: Thanks for having me. Thank you.
0: Take care. Bye-bye. Thank you for listening. I hope you found the show helpful and uplifting. You'll find all the backlist episodes and show notes at unbrokenpodcast.com. To learn more about how to resolve an overeating habit in a way that's unlike anything else you've tried, go to freedomfromovereating.com. Use the coupon code podcast at checkout to save 20% on this unique and comprehensive course. See you next time.